The views and opinions expressed on my story, Living with Lupus Podcast, represents each person's individual experience. By listening to this podcast or reading our blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. As always, consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. My Story Living with Lupus podcast is officially trademarked, all rights reserved. If you would like to appear on an episode of My Story Living with Lupus, you can contact us at mystorylivingwithlupus at gmail.com. Also visit us on our Instagram page and also our website, My Story Living with Lupus. We have gone from not having Time to fill in the blanks, to having too much time on our hands due to the pandemic of 2020. Good day, everyone. This is Susan Hendricks, your host for My Story Living with Lupus. And Today, it's all about, is history repeating itself? And what I'm referring to is the pandemic of 1918, the Spanish flu pandemic. Could this be history repeating itself? Are you ready to find out with me? Do you have your cup of coffee, your cup of tea? And to my listeners late at night, do you have that glass of wine? Because what I'm about to share with you is to invoke thought and for you to Do your own research yourself. You know, I sat and I thought and I thought and I said, now I remember hearing things about the Spanish flu. It was either from my parents or it was from high school from my history teachers. The Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. That's what I'm gonna be talking about. It will be compare and contrast for you guys to see, is history really repeating itself? So let's get started. Now, the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918, the deadliest in history, infected an estimated 
500 million people worldwide and about one third of the planet's population and killed an estimated 20 million to 50 million victims, including some 675,000 Americans. The 1918 flu was first observed in Europe, the United States and parts of Asia before swiftly spreading around the world. At the time, there were no effective drugs or vaccines to treat this killer flu strain. Citizens were ordered to wear masks. Schools, theaters, and businesses were shuttered and bodies piled up in makeshift morgues. Before the virus ended its deadly global march, is things sounding a little familiar to you? Now, influenza, we've heard, all heard of influenza or flu, is a virus that attacks the respiratory system. The flu virus is highly contagious. When an infected person coughs, sneezes, or talks, respiratory droplets are generated and transmitted into the air and can then be inhaled by anyone nearby. Additionally, a person who touches something with the virus on it and then touches his or her mouth, eyes, or nose can become infected. Now, I know we all have seen those in public, especially when you're eating or someone sitting behind you when we were able to openly go to restaurants. They would either sneeze and not cover their mouth or openly cough and not cover their mouth. Can you imagine the droplets that spreads into the air. And in my mind, when someone does that in a restaurant, I immediately state that I am through eating and no, I don't wanna take it with me because I would be taking home the germs. Now, did you know during the flu pandemic of 1918, the New York City Health Commissioner tried to slow the transmission of the flu by ordering businesses to open and close on staggered shifts to avoid overcrowding on the subways. Flu outbreaks happen every year and vary in severity, depending in part on what type of virus is spreading. Did you know that flu viruses can rapidly 
mutate. Now, in the United States, flu season generally runs from late fall into spring. In a typical year, more than 200,000 Americans are hospitalized for flu-related complications. And over the past three decades, there have been some 3,000 to 49,000 flu-related U.S. deaths annually, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, young children, people over age 65, pregnant women, and people with certain medical conditions such as asthma, diabetes, or heart disease face a higher risk of flu-related complications, including pneumonia, ear and sinus infections, and bronchitis. A flu pandemic, such as the one in 1918, occurs when an especially virulent new influenza strain for which there's little or no immunity appears and spreads quickly from person to person around the globe. Now, the first wave, that's right, the first wave. And when there's always a first wave, believe me, there will be a second wave. The first wave of the 1918 pandemic occurred in the spring and was generally mild. The sick who experienced such typical flu symptoms as chills, fever, and fatigue usually recovered after several days and the number of reported deaths was low. However, a second highly contagious wave of influenza appeared within a um, vengeance in the fall of that same year. Victims died within hours or days of developing symptoms, their skin turning blue and their lungs filling with fluid that caused them to suffocate. In just one year, 1918, the average life expectancy in America plummeted by a dozen years. Now, just like the pandemic of 2020, it was unknown what exactly um, where the particular strain of influenza that caused the pandemic came from in 1918. However, the 1918 flu was first observed in Europe, America, and areas of Asia before spreading to almost every other part 
of the planet within a matter of months. Now, despite the facts that the 1918 flu wasn't isolated to one place, it became known around the world as the Spanish flu. As Spain was hit hard by the disease and was not subject to the wartime news blackouts that affected other European countries, even Spain's King Alfonso reportedly contracted the flu. Now, one unusual aspect of the 1918 flu was that it struck down many previously healthy young people, a group normally resistant to this type of infectious illness, including a number of World War servicemen. Now, in fact, more U.S. soldiers died from the 1918 flu than were killed in battle during the war. 40% of the U.S. Navy was hit with the flu, while 36% of the Army became ill. And troops moving around the world in crowded ships, trains, help to spread the killer virus. Now, although the death toll attributed to the Spanish flu is often estimated at 20 million to 50 million victims worldwide, other estimates run as high as 100 million victims, around 3% of the world's population. The exact numbers are impossible to know due to the lack of medical record keeping in many places. Stay with me and we'll go even further into this. We all know the benefits of apple cider vinegar. Now you guys know that I'm a vegan and that I have lupus along with other health issues. I used to take ACV every morning before I worked out, but eventually the taste of ACV got to me and I had to look for another alternative and that's when a friend of mine turned me on to Goli. Goli is the first apple cider vinegar gummy. They give you all the benefits of ACV without the taste. That's right. Goli is vegan, gelatin free, gluten-free, and 100% organic. 
and the vitamins and the ACV in Goli promotes a healthy heart by maintaining a healthy cholesterol range, controls blood sugar levels, and also curbs your appetite. And the best part about Goli, for every sale generated, a child in need receives a six-month supply of essential vitamins with vitamin angels. So if you don't believe what I'm saying, I'm going to give you some information so you can try Goli for yourself. Here's a promo code you can use. It's Sue Lynn One. That's S U E L Y N N E One. And you'll receive 5% off of your initial purchase. Also, I'll leave a link in the description in the podcast. So, why don't you go and try it for yourself? You won't believe how good it tastes. That's Goalie. As I told you or informed you, this would be a compare and contrast. Um situation when we're talking about what happened in 1918 with the pandemic and what's going on in 2020. Now, the coronavirus, how does it spread? It is transmitted through droplets generated via coughing and sneezing. This means it can spread during close contact between an infected and uninfected person when it's inhaled or enters the body via the eyes, mouth, or nose. Infection can also occur when an uninfected person touches a contaminated surface. Now, what are the symptoms? Causes the COVID causes similar symptoms to the flu. Fever is the most common symptom occurring in almost 88% of cases, while a dry cough is the next most common affecting almost 68% of those with the virus. Data from 55,000 cases in China also show other symptoms can include fatigue, producing sputum or phlegm, shortness of breath, sore throat, headache. Unlike other coronaviruses that cause the common cold. COVID-19 is hardly ever 
associated with a stuffy nose. This is seen in just 5% of the cases. Now, diarrhea is also uncommon, affecting only 4% of the virus. Now, can you be infected if you don't have a fever? Now, listen, I know that you guys are inundated with information regarding this pandemic we are in right now. But the question still remains, does history or is history repeating itself? Now, to answer the question, can um, can you be infected if you don't have a fever? The answer is yes. You can still have coronavirus if you don't have a fever. This occurs in about 12% of the cases. Now, how long does it take for an individual to actually feel the effects of the virus? The incubation is the period from when you're infected, when you become sick for COVID-19, the range is one through 14 days with an average incubation period of five to six days. Now, going back to 1918. You know, scientists still don't know for sure where the Spanish flu originated. Just like they've been trying to pinpoint the origin of where COVID-19 originated. Now, there's theories from 1918 that point to France, China, Britain, or, yes, even the United States, where the first known case was reported at Camp Funston in Fort Riley, Kansas, on March the 11th, 1918. Now, some believe Infected soldiers spread the disease to other military camps across the country, then brought it overseas. Now, in March 1918, 84,000 American soldiers headed across the Atlantic and were followed by 118,000 more the following month. Now, when it came to fighting the Spanish flu, well, we know in 1918, the flu hit. Doctors and scientists were unsure 
what caused it or how to treat it. Is this sounding familiar? There were no effective vaccines or antiviral drugs that treat the flu. Now the first licensed flu vaccine appeared in America in the 1940s. By the following decade, vaccine manufacturers could routinely produce vaccines that would help control and prevent future pandemics. Complicating matters was the first was the fact, excuse me, the fact that World War I had left parts of America with a shortage of physicians and other health workers and of the available medical personnel in the U.S. Many came down with the flu themselves. You see where the compare and contrast is in this. Additionally, hospitals in some areas were so overloaded with flu patients that schools, private homes, and other buildings had to be converted into makeshift hospitals, some of which were staffed by medical students. And the question still remains the same. Is history repeating itself? The Charlie E. and Minnie P. Hendricks Foundation for Chronic Illness Awareness, giving hope and empowering those who suffer with chronic illness. See one, reach one, educate one to empower the masses. You can contact the foundation at 313-303-9217 or visit their website at https colon forward slash forward slash cemphfoundation.com. This is a 501c3 organization. No one should live in lack. All contributions are tax deductible. Now we discuss the um, mortality, well, I should say mortality, but who can, um, we'll put it this way, who is at most risk for the Spanish flu? And now when it comes to COVID, we know COVID does not discriminate. It affects everyone of all ages, all colors, genders, and so forth. 
But the individuals who are at a higher risk are people aged over 60 years with underlying health problems are at the highest risk of severe disease and death. For individuals aged 60 and 69, it is stated that 3.6% of those who are infected will die from COVID-19. This raises to 8% for 70 through 79 years, and 14.8% for those over 80. Among people under 50 years, just 0.2 to 0.4% will die from the disease, and this rises to 1.3 for individuals 50 to 59 years old. Now, um, when the Spanish flu ended, it ended by the summer of 1919. The flu pandemic came to an end as those that were infected either died or developed immunity. Almost 90 years later, which would be in 2008, researchers announced they discovered what made the 1918 flu so deadly. A group of three genes enabled the virus to weaken a victim's bronchial tubes and lungs and clear the way for bacteria pneumonia. Since 1918, there have been several other influenza pandemics, although none as deadly. A flu pandemic from 1957 to 1958 killed around 2 million people worldwide, including some 70,000 people in the United States, and a pandemic from 1968 to 1969 approximately 1 million people, including some 34,000 Americans. Now, back in the 60s, I do remember um, it was a flu, and I had um, contracted that flu. And if I'm not mistaken, and I don't mean to be derogatory, it was called the Hong Kong flu. And that was the only time that I have ever had the flu, but that flu, I was so sick as a child with that flu. Now, more than 12,000 Americans perished 
during the H1N1 or the swine flu pandemic that occurred from 2009 to 2010. The novel coronavirus pandemic of 2020 is spreading around the world as countries race to find a cure for COVID-19 and citizens shelter in place in an attempt to avoid spreading the disease, which is particularly deadly because many carriers are asymptomatic for days before realizing they are infected. Each of these modern day pandemics brings renewed interest and and, and attention to the Spanish flu or the forgotten pandemic. So named because its spread was overshadowed by the deadliness of World War One, and covered up by news blackouts and poor record keeping. Do you see a compare and contrast with the Spanish flu of 1918 and the pandemic of 2020. Now, if you're wondering how people of color reacted to the Spanish flu of 1918, how did they seek help? Well, there were, if I can recall right from memory, I think about three Black-owned hospitals back then, and they were at capacity. So people of color had to go to white hospitals. And it's sad that um, you have to say it, that I have to say it like this, but it's the truth. They had to seek help and care from white hospitals. Now, white hospitals didn't allow blacks to be treated back then in their facilities. But if you found a hospital that would allow blacks to come in to be treated, you were sent to the lower floor, which was the basement where there was little to no medical help if you needed. So that meant that those individuals of color who were sick from this flu would die point blank period from not receiving medical care. Fast forward to 2020. Is there a difference? Is history repeating itself? Well, to me, um, it's like this pandemic, this virus of 2020 is taking the biggest hit 
on people of color. Now, is it due to the underlying conditions? We all know that African Americans have a higher rate of having high blood pressure, diabetes, um, heart disease, stroke, obesity, and that may have played a part. But the way my mind is working, and I do believe that things have gotten better, somewhat better, in 2020, but there still exists an undertone of racism when we go into the emergency rooms. And I have discussed this before on previous episodes, um, how some medical interns, residents believe that we as a people, and I say we, I'm speaking of people of color, black people, brown people, whatever, can endure pain more than our white counterparts. There is a belief that we seek or go to the ERs based on the fact that we're searching for painkillers to sell out on the street. So, has history repeated itself on that part? It still exists today, point blank period, within the medical field. It still exists. Um, based on the color of of your skin. I have experienced it personally. So I'm speaking from a personal experience and I have seen it because I've worked in the medical field. Um, there is a racial overturn tone when um, you seek care point blank period you know if you're not being discriminated by the color of your skin you're being discriminated by the insurance card in your wallet because if you come out with a state insurance card you will see basic care and some may say listening to this be thankful that you're receiving any care at all and if you are thinking that way my brothers and sisters are thankful to be receiving care but we feel like health care is not a privilege it is a right we want the same type of care as anyone else that walks through that emergency room door, that walks through that doctor's office door. We look to be treated with the same respect, regardless of the color of our skin or the insurance that we carry in our wallet. 
So in some ways, yes, it has changed just a little bit, but it still exists. Now, I'm through with that tangent. I digressed and let me apologize. So let's discuss the contaminated diuretic. Now, you know what a diuretic is, don't you? It's to get the excess fluid off the body. You know, some people have to take it if you're on a blood pressure medication. They usually prescribe a diuretic. And I hope I pronounced this diuretic correctly, so stick with me. Now, this has been reported in MedPage today. Researchers recalled contaminated actazolamide shots. Pharmacy leaders petitioned FDA after their own tests revealed high levels of impurities. You guys should always know and question what they inject into your body. Researchers at the University of Kentucky have called on the FDA to recall certain formulations of the injectable diuretic after their own chemical analysis turned up unknown impurities. Now, one doctor stated in 30 years of near infrared spectroscopy, he hadn't seen too many drugs that look like that. They thought that they should pull it right away and figure out why it was looking so contaminated. And they still are not sure what it's contaminated with now. Last year, launched what they called the Drug Quality Study to test pharmaceuticals used in the university's health system before they were given to patients. Injectable, the name that I said of the diuretic, was the first product they tested in August after the project was delayed by COVID-19 pandemic. When they looked at Mylan's drug using near-infrared spectroscopy, they found 11 of 30 vials from the same lot had significant variations from USP standards suggesting a manufacturing procedure that is out of process control. They wrote in the FDA Now, there needs to be, um, there's a need, I should say, 
for monitoring quality of finished pharmaceutical products. Given the global manufacturing market and challenges in the FDA inspections of those facilities. Further stated, he dreamt up the idea for the university's drug quality study after reading Catherine Evans' book, Bottle of Lies. You guys need to pick that book up. It's a very interesting read, which exposed serious manufacturing deficiencies in the generic drug industry. Now with COVID-19 further hindering inspections, concerns about quality are even greater. The stakes are especially high for sterile injectables, which need to be made extremely carefully given that they're often injected directly into the bloodstream. Now, in addition, since many sterile injectables are generic, there's little incentive to improve quality. But with programs like this one, that they ran tests on the drugs, as well as one from the independent Valsure Pharmacy, which analyzes all pharmaceutical products before dispensing to patients or hospitals, they're hoping for a change. You know, it looked like this would be a given to inspect any drug um, before it even touched a patient or entered the hospital doors. So be sure that you guys ask, what are you injecting me with? Is it from a good lot. That's right. Ask those questions. Now, we're talking about, now we're getting ready to talk about a save the date. And that date is November 20th, 2020. It's a conversation with Dr. Josephine Dar. She's a rheumatology specialist with over 38 plus years of experience in this field. She has written numerous papers on lupus. And we will be discussing immune cell activation and severe COVID patients, which resembles lupus. That's right. We're going to delve into that. Also, if you have any questions that you would like to ask the doctor, submit your questions to mystorylivingwithlupus at gmail.com. And I will ask her those questions. Be sure to submit them um, no later than 
November the 17th. I want you guys to stay with me. And I'll be right back. I have to make me a cup of tea. Well, my time has come to an end for today. I hope that you have learned something from this little um, bit of history. Is history repeating itself? Do you think history is repeating itself? Look, um, when you have listened to this on Thursday, no, Wednesday, I have to go into the hospital for testing once again, not for my heart, but I have nodules on my thyroid and um, my thyroid has been acting up as I've been told you previously before um, the endocrinologist wants to see if they have grown um, as I stated before in a previous podcast the lupus affects and attacks the endocrine system and it has done a number on my endocrine system so if the nodules have increased in size there's a possibility that I will have to have the thyroid taking out and depending on what those nodules revealed i'm not gonna claim it right now okay i'm not claiming it i'm keeping it moving forward and we'll deal with that situation because it is a situation when it is presented to me also my foundation, the Charlie E. and Minnie P. Hendricks Foundation, is doing um, not only a Feed the Homeless. We will be out in the streets of the cities of Highland Park, Michigan, and Detroit, feeding and clothing um, the homeless. Also, we have a Christmas giveaway for um, a woman who has either experienced hair loss through your illness, be it cancer, lupus, or thyroid illness, or some other illness. Um, you will be able to receive a handmade lace frontal unit um, as our Christmas giveaway. All you have to do starting November the 1st is submit your letter stating why you deserve this 
human hair, handmade unit, lace front unit, um, to submit it to info at cemfoundation.com and make sure you place on there Christmas giveaway hashtag wig that's all you have to do submit your letter or nominate someone you know that you think is deserving of this to info at C-E-M-P-H foundation dot com and man we have a Christmas giveaway for you too you have to um have a chronic illness if you would like to nominate or tell us why you deserve a $50 Visa gift card send that information to info at cemph foundation dot com Hashtag $50 Visa gift card. That's for our men and women. You have a hand-tied lace frontal unit, handmade unit, as a Christmas giveaway. It is 100% human hair. So there you go. Before I go, I want to leave you with this. Our world has been staggered by crime on the rise, rebellionness, the great disappointment of leadership, and the moral failures of our society. And you know, it all can be traced to the root cause, which is undisciplined lies. Lies that have been committed to doing their own thing, or for that matter, not doing anything, period. You see, success is not based on where you start. It's where you finished. And you know what? Those are words from my father. I have finished. And the joy of it all has been my journey because it, within my journey, there were lessons to be learned. I'm Susan Hendricks. Your host for my story, Living with Lupus Podcast. May you have a most peaceful, pleasant, enjoyable, safe, and oh so blessed weekend.
I'll see you next week and I'll let you know the results from my testing. You guys have a great one. And I'll see you next week. The views and opinions expressed on my story, Living with Lupus Podcast, represents each person's individual experience. By listening to this podcast or reading our blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. As always, consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. My Story Living with Lupus podcast is officially trademarked, all rights reserved. Thank you.